Welcome to the Mobile App Makers Podcast, the podcast where I interview mobile app creation experts from all disciplines so we can learn from them. Welcome, everybody. Today, I'm with Justin Halfpenny, he's the CEO at Calify. A big chunk of his career has been manufacturing, and today, his goal is getting every physical product to ship and have a mobile companion app. So, welcome, Justin. Can you tell us more about you and your history in the market? Olivia, thanks so much for having me on. Yes, you mentioned I'm currently the CEO of Cadify. My background for the first 20 years of my life was in manufacturing field service, and I had IT under my belt at the time. And then about 10 years ago, switched into mobile tech, I suppose 10 or 12 years ago, I'm dating myself, and slowly productized that the aim was to tame mobile, which at the time, sort of 2008 to 2010, was still the Wild West, and to a degree still today. The release of the iPhone made a big difference. And then from a business perspective, decided to productize the technology I was building at the time into a mobile development platform. Then we moved into the no-code world about two or three years ago and put a layer of no-code, which is our Cadify product that I'm currently the CEO of. In the intro, I said you want every physical product to have a mobile companion app. Can you explain what you meant by this when you told it to me a couple of weeks back? Absolutely. So if we think of our relationship with the physical world now, there's so much digital interaction, whether that's through our Google Home or Alexa. And the top end products now, so for example, a Tesla car, are shipping with a form of digital companion, something we can interact with that sort of provides the bridge between us, our product and the provider, the manufacturer. At the moment, this is right at the top end. So Teslas aren't cheap. But if we think about how we interact with all of our products, the aim is every physical product we interact with will have some form of digital companion and most likely at least today in the next few years will be in the form of a companion app so the idea there is to help us just interact with the product whether that's for us researching buying onboarding using and also to to cut down those frustrations when you just want to know which button to press when and so yeah this change of the world where we have this sort of digital layer the digital companion both with our physical and services so for example our bank And now this is moving into more standard products, we would say, and especially as they become more interconnected uh, generally too. And so today, building a mobile app can be expensive. Can you explain how Catify makes it easier and cheaper for companies to have a companion app, as you called it? Yes, I think the big push here is one, generally into no code. So the ability for someone who can use a spreadsheet to be able to actually push an app out and get that listed on the stores. That's been trending now for, I suppose, three to five years under the covers and is really starting to gain momentum now. And I think the other trend is the verticalization of that. So what that means is that the no-code is provider, that's Catify, we are specific to a manufacturer for the uh, no-code builder. But what that means is that you get a pre-built backend as well as the no-code builder on the front. And I think those two trends colliding, so that's the verticalization, just generally, if we look at all software, Everyone's trying to niche down onto particular verticals and sectors within those. And then the other part of that being the no-code. So just Canva's a really good example of no-code, just how easy and accessible it becomes to become a designer to a level. And that's that's happening with mobile applications. It's been slower because the technology is a little bit harder to tame, but we're really seeing you know, the rise of that technology coupled with the verticalization as well. Just to make it clear, when you say no code, it is literally no code. Like you guys have a website where people can build their mobile app from the website, correct? Without writing a single line of code, just drag and drop? Absolutely. Yeah. So you've got two halves really of the Catify. So once you log in, 
everything's in the cloud. So we're living in the SaaS world. So everything's executed in the browser. You have what we could think of as a content management system. That's basically the data that will be in your application. And then you have the composer. And that's how, as you say, you design. That's really thinking about user experience. That's the navigation, how we move from one place to the other, plus the interfaces. And we can drive deep down into what we would know as, as CSS, but that's all abstracted up so that uh, a user who's never seen any HTML or CSS or any JavaScript can just come in and say, I'd like a button here. I'd like it drop shadow. You know, I'd, I'd like the border to be five picks and, you know, whatever the radius is and so on. And then that general idea is that you can get time to value a lot quicker and really move all of the cost, the risk, the time and the skills away of course, we've been doing that for years with spreadsheets. You know, before spreadsheets, we'd have to have a punch card and go and stand in the queue. So in the same way that spreadsheets really democratized all of those sort of projection plannings and all the sort of things we do with spreadsheets, I think no code, we're just going to see a rise of so many more use cases being able to be satisfied by us normal non-developers, if you like. And I know you've been working on some cool feature to integrate in your offering. What are the next features that you're excited about and what scenario are they going to enable for your customers? Yes, a good point. So really, when you start with no code, you have to decide the use cases you're going to cover. So we did a research project a couple of years ago, over a thousand companion apps. We looked through the stores. We picked up the majority of the use cases there. So the onboarding, the guiding, the setups, those types of things, as well as the sort of standard or what would be today's standard media. So video, audio, obviously text-based. As we come through, especially with the more connected machines, our IoT specifically will be very interesting. So that's the idea that if I'm an excavator driver, for example, and I'm running out on a site, how do I know if there's a problem with my machine? Well, many of the manufacturers now embedding IoT within the machine, which talks to the IoT cloud, but then you've got what we term the last mile of IoT. How do you get that information back to the driver in a contextual and highly abstracted way? I don't want to know all of the error digits coming through. I just need to know I need to change my oil or whatever it may be. And so I think, yeah, really democratizing that last mile of IoT and providing the foundation of a companion app to receive that information is definitely something we're really excited about. And that goes hand in glove with a direct machine to companion. Uh, so that would be most likely over Bluetooth, sometimes over Wi-Fi. Again, just trying to tame that so that someone from your product team who understands the instructions that the product should have to say turn on or turn off can actually partner with someone in the app side and be able to send those instructions backward and forward. Stepping back a little bit, I know as a as a developer, one of the drawbacks of building your own mobile application is having to take care of the maintenance of the app. What does maintenance look like on your end for a customer? Yeah, it's really interesting. I'll wind back just a tad. I was building apps by hand between 2008 and 2013 and very frustrating, always a waterfall project. So often many, many months, sometimes years. Everything was pushed to get the first release out. And then within weeks, often there wants to be a change here or a change there. Sometimes very minor, sometimes, you know, something quite major that's come up in the business roadmap. And so I think that really started me off on this versionable world where in terms of releasing and version control, just to put it in a more non-technical way, if you've got your first version released and it's cost you X and your second version is going to cost you X again, it's very unlikely that you're going to make those small minor amends that are going to really help the user and, and drive the adoption of your app. 
And so I think from a maintenance side of things, you just want to make sure whatever approach you take, whether it's code or no code, to really think about you're on a product that you're going to manage for the life cycle of that product being the app. And so versioning particularly is really important. How do you very quickly make changes, monitor those, ideally be able to release them to a small subset of users just to get that validation, if that's a technical validation or uh, an interaction validation, very, very important. And I think that really highlights something that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, which is also understanding the balance of the backend platform that your app is interacting with, with the front end. So it's very easy just to concentrate on the things that you want to change on the front, because that's what we all like to see. But actually, if we're, yeah, if we've got an extra field to add or some validation or a brand new process, again, managing that as a release and making sure the users are really abstracted from all of the testing, the early release issues that you might have is very important. And uh, just to add there, Olivia, that I think the other side of that is to, is to know you've got issues is around monitoring particularly. And I know that's something that you're interested in too. Yeah, we might not be doing a release because we want to. We might have to do a release because something has uh, uh, gone wrong. Something broke. <laughs> Absolutely. We don't own that environment, you know. So if we think of Android and iOS, there's at least, well, there is a major release on each platform annually and many, many patch releases uh, during the year. We're also interacting with potentially an API we don't own, for example, through our app. And so it's just a very volatile environment for an app to work in. And so continual monitoring ideally picking up the issues prior to the user seeing them and then having that ability to release a new version, partially maybe to a subset used to confirm everything's good and then finally a sort of GA rollout. Yeah, maintenance is a tricky bit. And I'm actually curious, do you, as part of your offering, also take care of listing the apps in the App Store? Yeah, that's correct. So the only part we can't do is actually to create the developer accounts for the client. We would like always those to be under their name. So that takes about half an hour. And I think the current rate is about $100 for iOS and 30 something dollars for Android. And once that's done, yeah, we then take responsibility for the listing and the updates of what we call the containers for the clients. That's their listed apps. So you really have a, a white glove approach. Everything is done for you kind of approach. That's great. Yeah, and I think that talks into a little bit more about SaaS as well, because the delivery model of SaaS software as a service that is a delivery model, not necessarily a customer model, if you like. So from a pricing removal of CapEx, so again, we didn't touch on that. One of the other benefits of a no-code solution is that you don't have to have a massive amount of CapEx coming up behind you to get the product out. So with software as a service, you're paying a monthly or annual subscription, no reduction in CapEx. So that's really important. But the way SaaS is moving is that was fine. That was a real differentiator. But I think now having customer success wrapped in to software as a service is really important. So that white glove that you mentioned, I think it's becoming more and more frequent, whether that's a brilliant help center, whether that's a weekly workshops or whatever it might be, you can't be 100% hands off with these products because the customer is new to everything often and they just need some assistance. And sometimes that's just inspiration. You know, what can I do with the product? So we've talked a lot here about the benefits of the no-code approach, but like everything, there's always pros and cons. Can you talk a bit about what the limitation of the no-code approach is and in what case would it not be a good technical solution? Yeah, I think to lean on something I said earlier, you know, each no-code platform has an opinion, often by the founding team and their experience. So if you don't align to that opinion, straight away, you might have a clash with how uh, the output's going to be. So that's one thing. If you're 
choosing a, a, a no-code environment that has a backend, especially the use cases are often going to be predefined. So the benefit is you get something that's been tried and tested at low cost. The con, if you like, is that you have to sweep into those use cases. So that's probably the biggest. The other side of that is just sometimes you want to stretch a bit further inside those use cases and you just can't quite get there. And so the aim of every no-code platform is to provide as much customization and flexibility, but keep the cost down and keep the quality high. And that's really where the balance comes. And I suppose in our market for the largest manufacturers, they may well have already started to build uh, you know, a, a digital platform that goes much wider than say the companion app in our case. I think that can be overridden to a degree with APIs so you can consume other services. But again, there's an end to that where the trade-off just isn't cost-effective. And actually, I, I don't know. Yeah, I really don't know the answer to that question. Do most platform, no-code platform, like when you get to the limits of what the platform can do, does that mean you have to start from scratch or can you get like the code of the app that you had created? And Most of the time, it's a black box. So in other words, you are definitely limited within there. There is in the browser side of no code, so not the mobile app, there's definitely a movement to allow much more customization and say a no code, low code solution where you can come in later. Maybe someone who understands JavaScript or can bring a library in. And that's definitely, you know, our path. So color, get a foundation which actually requires or does all the requirements for actually getting an app on the store, get your base functionality and et cetera. And then to start to look at how you can bring in a coding when you really need something specific. So like I say, an API that might be consuming an e-commerce store, everyone's going to have a different e-commerce store and everyone's going to have a different opinion of how they want the customer shopping experience to be. So I think it will be a requirement of at least the no-code platforms that have strong opinions. But if you take something like Webflow, for example, that's a WordPress competitor, if you like, which is really a designer tool, but in a no-code fashion, you know, they're just having to bring e-commerce in because the use case is too strong. So I think you also get pushed by your clients as well. Today's users are used to very high quality app from the major players. Uh, how does that impact your product and your customers? I think for me personally, it was not a shock. It was more just watching the bar go higher and higher. So when we interact, particularly with mobile apps on our phones, there's such a difference between the top and the bottom. And so we've got Facebook, Twitter, Google spending hundreds of millions of dollars to go to market. Then at the bottom, you might be a very large company, but you may only have a couple of hundred customers because of just your product type, for example. And so you're immediately going to be compared from the customer's perspective, that's the mobile app user, to the quality. And that's the performance, the design, and just generally the user experience that they're going to get from start to finish, whether that be the first onboarding of the app. And so I think what it means is that no code, or at least bringing in what I would call the surrounding, the adjacencies to the core app. So onboarding, for example, is a, is a really good scenario where you build all the functionality of your app because that's what you want it to do. But you just don't have any time or budget left to say, build a little onboarding and help intro screen to your app. And for a user, that's really important. They expect that. I mean, with Slack now, especially, they've really brought out the sign up with the magic link. You don't even have to put a password in now. And so when I go to use something I need to put a password in, I'm comparing that to Slack and saying, this app isn't there. And I think that's probably the area that's going to get the most love, which is just around the UX outside of the core functionality. Because if you cannot deliver that level of user experience, it doesn't need to be right at the top, but very close, then your actual adoption for your app is going to be halted at the front door because people aren't going to 
download it or install it or register or whatever you want them to do. For people that are trying to build an app, like, do you have any advice for them, whether it's in no code or in code, to ensure that it lasts a long time? Yeah, I think for us, I think of this thing called UX flows, so the user experience flows. And I think that there's not a lot out there to help people at the moment in terms of those sort of early design tools. And so the natural instinct for all of us is to go to the shiny interface and start designing the interfaces. And that really is going to set you up for a failure. So I think, you know, classic sort of software, if you can just read a little bit about user stories, think about what you want your user to do, and then try and bring a subject matter expert in. Now, you might be the subject matter expert for your product, but you're not a user. So as soon as you can start to get feedback with very early prototyping, just very, very basic wireframes, the story that you think is most important is likely to not be the most important. And so start with those user stories. And then what I would start to do is see how those stories are supported by your backend, by your platform. Can you actually do those stories? Because again, it's no good providing these lovely interfaces to a mobile app developer and then finding that you don't actually have the platform or field or whatever it is that you've designed into your front end. And so I suppose reverse what you naturally would do. And actually, if you can get more subject matter experts, i.e. your end users involved, the better. And I know from your experience, you know, if you've got a platform that you're already going to have to tie into earlier, the better, get them involved. There's a lot that you can do before you start without scotting a lot of money. It gets harder and more expensive the later you leave those sort of conversations. Yeah, that's totally true. Like taking the time to learn about the, I don't want to say the ecosystem, but about the environment of the user, his desires, his goals, what he's trying to achieve, and then figure out, okay, given those goals, what can I do? And maybe the mobile app is not the right answer anyway. So good advice. Those were all the questions I had for you today. If our listeners want to learn more about what you do and learn more about you, where can they go? Cadify is at uh, www.cadify.com. That's C-A-D-D-I-F-Y. And I'm on LinkedIn. I am on Twitter, but not a great user, more a stalker. So if you find Justin Halfpenny on LinkedIn, all my details are on our website as well. I'd love to be connected. And if you've got any questions, regardless whether it's uh, code or no code in mobile apps, always happy to, to have a chat. Well, thanks for providing a, a great perspective on how to build an app, because it's true that most of the time when I talk about building a map, I'm thinking of a code solution with somebody actually writing code. And so it's great to have that different perspective of you can do it differently. It might not work for everything, but if you're in those scenarios where it works right, then it would be a great way to go. So thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks, Olivia. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Mobile App Makers podcast. I'm Olivier Destrebeck. You can find more info on building mobile apps at mobileappmakers.chat.